a core value of Quakers in worship is that in the silence, as we center down, we may be open to God's revelations, that God may speak directly through us. This was taken so seriously by early friends that when we centered down in worship and someone was moved of the Lord to share the message God had placed on their heart or in their, uh, in their soul, that in those old quietest, plain-dressed Quaker times, that person would either rise or sometimes fall to their knees and take the hat or bonnet off and recognition of the authority of God. And in the old quietest place, uh, culture, everyone else rose, took their hats and bonnets off, turned their backs to the person, and bowed in humility before the fact that God was speaking through this person. It was taken that seriously. Now, the question would be, if we bring in videos, cameras, microphones into a meeting for worship, does it impact how a person receives the message from God and chooses to share it? The, 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 Quaker Podcast. Story, Spirit, Sound. I'm John Watts. And I'm Georgia Sparling. Welcome back to the country, John. It's Thank good you. to have you back. <laughs> it's great to have you back from Australia. Good to be back. It's nice to be back in the same time zone with you. Um, but now you're on the road. How is uh, how's New England going? Yeah, um, new, my New England trip is going great so far. The humidity is much lower than in the South. So um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, what are we talking about today? Um, we're talking about Zoom. So, so I have to admit that this topic was not at the top of my list when we started doing story brainstorms for the podcast. But as I travel around sharing a vision for Quakers to boldly step into the 21st century and especially internet media, you know, this is a conversation that seems to be at the forefront of people's minds. I mean, <laughs> you've said a few times that Zoom isn't really your thing, though, right? It's, right. It's not. Zoom is not my thing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm into internet tools like YouTube and podcasting, you know, publishing platforms. But I honestly know next to nothing about Zoom. In fact, that should probably be a disclaimer for this episode. You're not about to get a technical rundown <laughs> of, the, of the software. <laughs> um, what is it about Zoom that Quakers are so eager to talk about then? I, I think it has something to do with how rapid the shift has been. You know, like five years ago, it would have been unheard of to have a big screen TV in a meeting for worship. At, at least in my branch of friends. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say probably 15, 20 years ago, that was the case in like the churches that I grew up in. Yeah. For Quakers, it was it not allowed to have a TV? Yeah, well, I, I don't know about not allowed, but it, it just it just wasn't done. Like, you know, we're all trying to sit in the stillness and listen for the spirit. 
And something like photography or a phone ringing or something like that might be considered a distraction. In, in my wedding last month, for example, we didn't have any photography during the ceremony. I, I think that was because we wanted to prioritize everyone being able to be fully present and not be distracted by like, how do I look right now? Is the photographer, you know, pointing the camera at me, stuff like that. Right. So a big television screen, a camera, an AV technician. Right. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, some some Quaker meetings have had controversies about like whether putting flowers on the table in the center of the meeting room would be too much of a distraction. <laughs> that, that's several degrees removed from a TV screen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, yeah, the church I grew up in had a flower ministry. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That sounds fun. <laughs> so what shifted the tide then to having TVs in so many meetings? Right. Now, you know, just a few short years later, the standard has changed. Wherever I go, whatever meeting I walk into, you can pretty much assume that they have a hybrid meeting for worship, which means, you know, some portion of the participants on that Sunday morning are calling in from Zoom. They're on a TV screen. So this is where I wanted to start today's episode. You know, how how did we get here? Um, how are we as a religious society handling this sort of sudden shift, certainly sudden for Quakers? What are the advantages of inviting this new technology into our worship space? What are some of the drawbacks? And you know, what is what does the future look like? Is this a flash in the pan or is it here to stay for the most part? Um, but first, for those who maybe haven't experienced it before and might be new to the idea of this style of quiet waiting worship, is it even possible to do over Zoom? <laughs> well, I actually have a story about this. So that's Anne Jerome, a Quaker in Florida. She's part of the DeLand Worship Group. At the beginning of the pandemic, a friend of mine who's not a Quaker asked me, so what's going to happen to Quaker worship? Can't get together, you know? And I said, well, actually, you know, we're starting to meet online. And she said, but don't you guys just sit in silence? And we laughed and laughed and laughed. So I actually called Anne to ask her about Pendle Hill's daily worship, which went online during the pandemic and attracted hundreds of new worshipers from all over the world. But first, I want to dig a little deeper into some of this hesitancy. Why is it that Quaker meetings have been reticent in the past to bring new technology into the worship room? I asked our old friend, Max Carter. Uh, I think primarily it's from the Quaker tradition of not wanting distractions uh, when you're centering down in worship. This is why we didn't have stained glass windows. We didn't have statuary. We didn't have icons. We didn't have visuals in the meeting room. The meeting room, in a typical, uh, traditional, uh, unprogrammed Quaker meeting uh, house, is bare, absolutely bare. Another is that, historically, we have not taken pictures in meeting for worship. It's, it's not a spectator sport. It's a meeting for worship. 
And in worship, you know, the focus should be on centering down and being attentive to the Spirit. Uh, so it's interesting that that is still a strong tradition uh, among friends when they have no problem <laughs> bringing Zoom. <laughs> I mean, in a way, waiting worship is ridiculous on the face of it anyway. If you walk into a, a meeting room and uh, see people just sitting around mostly with their eyes closed, like, why did they all come together and why did they drive an hour to get here? And I, I think that with uh, the advent of Zoom worship, uh, once you get past that ridiculousness factor, amazing things happened. So, yes, you're right. Three years ago, I would have said, no way, are you kidding? Rolling in the aisles laughing. But in point of fact, I find it now one of the most powerful experiences I've had in the Quaker world. So whenever Zoom worship comes up in conversation among Quakers, often one of the first things that gets mentioned is Pendle Hill's daily worship. Pendle Hill is a Quaker retreat center outside of Philadelphia, which has held daily Quaker worship every day since its founding in 1930. For this story, we're going to go back to Anne Jerome, who attended the Pendle Hill worship throughout the pandemic. Just a heads up, I did this interview over Zoom, and true to form, we had some technical difficulties. You may notice that Anne's audio quality isn't great for the first bit. That's because we didn't have the right audio source selected. Well, we figured it out pretty quickly, so stick with it. It'll get better. That tradition of faithfulness to worship every single day is really significant at the core of Pendle Hill as a study and retreat center. Uh, and I think that for the Quaker world as a whole, people are glad to know that that's happening. You know, there's a, a sort of keep the light burning quality to it. Yeah, so what happened during the pandemic? How did Pendle Hill bring its worship onto Zoom and what happened then? I know that... Um, there was some conversation about was it appropriate to have a great big screen TV with little squares of people on it in the meeting room in the barn, which is, you know, it feels like a sacred space, that, that worship space. Uh, but the, to my understanding, it was the sense of service to the world outside Pendle Hill that really moved the staff toward offering worship via Zoom every single day. So this is the moment we figured out the microphone issue. And once we got it working, I asked Anne about this phenomenon of people joining Pendle Hills worship once they opened it up to Zoom. Yeah, it definitely did become a crowd pretty quickly. Uh, there was a, a gradual uptick in attendance, but we, uh, in that first year, we would sometimes have 150 connections. And many of those have multiple people sitting in a room together. Wow. And that's just to clarify, that's that's like every day. That's like on a Monday morning. You might have 100, 250 people on a, on a Friday morning, on a Wednesday morning. Every single day. Um, Sundays, maybe a little bit fewer. You know, we might go down to 65 connections now on a Sunday because people are going to their own other worship that day. But um there's, there is a core group now of probably 75, 80, 90 people 
who are there almost every morning, the same people. Wow. Yeah. So tell me how a little bit about the shift. Like, how did it feel to move on to Zoom? Was it weird? What, you know, what happened to the quality of worship? I think that getting used to worship on Zoom is a thing, and people actually have to get used to it. Um, I know that some people just say, I've tried it, it's not for me. Um, and I believe that. It may not be for everybody. But I do think that giving it some time really helps. It definitely helped me. Um, and I learned, I don't know, it probably took a few weeks, but I, I learned gradually that I still could center into worship the same way as I do when I'm in person. In fact, in some ways, better. And this is where me being a convert comes in. Um, I've found that the distractions that are sometimes present in a room full of people, coughing or moving around or whatever, um, the absence of those helped me to concentrate better on my internal spiritual practice to maintain that connection with God that I look for in worship. I also found that being able to prepare for worship within my own home space was helpful. In driving to worship, I would prepare a bit in the car on the way, but I was also driving. So with worshiping from home, I can read a little before worship or I can go for a little walk before worship. It's, it's easier. It's sort of like a more controlled environment in a way to prepare for that worship time. I also found that being with friends on Zoom allows me ironically to get closer to them, even though we're on opposite sides of the world in some cases. But instead of sitting across a room from them where I might or might not be able to hear every word they say, I'm looking them in the eye on my screen, eight inches from my face, and there's a certain intimacy about that that I don't really find, for myself at least, in in-person worship. It may be partly because I'm an introvert, so it's in some ways easier for me to connect with someone one-on-one -on -one the way I can on a screen. Uh, but there's a remarkable sense of intimacy among people who worship together online. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, Anne, I want to get your prognostication. Is this, you know, is this Zoom phenomenon of meetings being mostly hybrid? Is it a pandemic flash in the pan, or uh, or is this here to stay? I sure hope it's here to stay, I, for so many reasons. Um, there are people who come to Pendle Hill Worship every day who don't have anywhere else to worship. Either they don't live near a meeting or they're immune compromised in some way or transportation is an issue or whatever. Um, yes, you have to have a computer or some other device to connect to Zoom, but I think that in many ways it's a more egalitarian um, form of gathering. And I also carry a passion for what it does for climate change, 
for Quakers to gather in person, we have to use a lot of fossil fuels. For Quakers to gather on Zoom, we don't. And I think the fact that we can gather on Zoom and experience the same kind of gathered meeting, togetherness, spiritual communion, whatever you want to call it, is testimony to the fact that what Quakers have been doing all along still works. All along, Quakers have been experiencing that when we gather with the intention to listen for God, we hear God. And that principle holds true from a distance, just as it does in person. We don't have to have these physical human bodies together in one place for the spirit to still move among us. After the break, the story of a Quaker meeting who never used Zoom and putting technology on probation, what we can learn from the Amish. We got an email a few weeks ago from a guy who identifies himself as a Quaker wannabe. Uh, Rob Music, and I am the campus chaplain at the University of Pikeville. Rob told me that he became a Christian as a teenager and from there grew up in the evangelical tradition. Having grown up in places where there really aren't um, Quaker meetings, uh, it's always just have appreciated from a distance. At seminary, Rob studied the writings of George Fox and John Woolman, and since then he's taken an interest in Quaker thought and practice. He found John's videos on YouTube. And that really fed my spirit. Even though I can't be a part of a community, um, I can vicariously be a part of it through the, the content that's being created. Even though Rob's corner of Kentucky doesn't have a Quaker meeting, learning about Quakerism has inspired him to embrace Quaker traditions and practices in his own way. Yeah, I think one, um, a nonviolent, peaceful ethic, I mean, to the point that I'm like vegetarian and trying to do no harm of speech, um, you know, ethical responsibility of my spending. I think that is real serious. Um, still working on that. The gracious hospitality of Quakerism, allowing people to be wherever they're at and, and not having such an epistemologically haughty, arrogant kind of approach. I think that's one of the things I just have really appreciated about Quakerism is that you know, I'm following where I feel like the inner light is leading me. But it's okay that like you are also on that journey and, and we may not be at the same place. Since we launched the podcast, Rob has become a subscriber and said it's been a way for a Quaker wannabe like him to engage meaningfully with the faith practice. Thank you for your work. I mean, you do, I mean, this exceptional work, really well done. And I just really, like I said, I'm here in rural eastern Kentucky, very far from a lot of religious diversity. And um, your work very much is kind of a lifeline. Oh, wait, like there's actually this big world out there of other people who think very differently. So uh, your work is so critical. Um, it's just that for all of us who are scattered, can help us become one family uh, through technology. So I really appreciate your work. Thank you so much for those kind words, Rob. And honestly, wow, this is really the heart of the Quaker Project, using media to connect friends, spiritual seekers, everybody to what's happening in the Quaker world. And there is so much happening. As we get the word out to more Quakers and more Quaker wannabes, we're looking for more people who will partner with us 
We're building a team of generous, thoughtful, media-loving folks, and we'd love it if you would join us by pledging $25 a month or more, whatever you're able to do. Your support will help us make this work more sustainable and to tell more stories of spiritual courage. Check out thequaker.org to join our giving community. That's T-H-E-E quaker.org, and that link is in the show notes. Okay, we're back. So a few days ago, I posted on the Quakers Facebook group and asked for stories of Quaker meetings that have never adopted Zoom. And I was actually surprised by the number of responses I got. One of those meetings was Fall Creek in Pendleton, Indiana. I spoke with two members of Fall Creek about their meeting and how they came to the decision to meet in person or not at all. Okay, my name is Diane Herzog. I am near Anderson, Indiana, between Anderson and Pendleton, Indiana, and my meeting is Fall Creek Meeting. Uh, So my name is Anna Margaret Green. I am a member of Fall Creek Monthly Meeting, uh, which is part of Ohio Valley Yearly Meeting. I'm also the clerk of that meeting um, and have been since 2017. We are a very small number of friends in a very big historic meeting house. There's been a meeting there for 180 years plus where um, a, a small meeting, I've been there 23 years and it's always been kind of a small rural meeting. So Fall Creek is... I would call a very deep and centered quality of worship. Each one of us, I think, feels a lot of gratitude for this little place that's so special and so deep in history and deep in spirit. And the the, the hour just passes. It, it passes. Sometimes there's vocal ministry. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there are a couple of children um, in our midst, and they do their thing and kind of circulate around the meeting house and around us, and it it doesn't break the depth of worship at all. It's just enfolded into the silence, and that's pretty much our typical Sunday morning. So I asked Anna and Diane about the pandemic and how Fall Creek came to the decision to continue meeting without Zoom. For us, that was never something that Fall Creek was really interested in pursuing. And I think there were a couple different factors. One group was kind of the the younger, like my generation of friends who a lot of us had jobs where we were in video calls on Zoom or other platforms many hours a day. And so adding additional Zoom meetings uh, was not a very appealing idea. Um, For some of us, we had a lot of that Zoom fatigue. Also within that category uh, was at the time parents of toddlers. Um, And so trying to, you know, have a calm hour to sit in a Zoom meeting on a computer with a two or three year old was complicated. And it's a big meeting house and a lot of space in between us. So we, a couple of us just came 
and sat away from each other a lot of times with doors and windows open masks on i see so you were yeah you had a lot of a lot of distance to be able to space from each other yes and what did that feel like did uh did it feel good to get back did it feel weird to be sitting so far apart from each other it just felt good to be back it, and just to be, you know, to see one another. And we missed the people who weren't able to be there, but it felt like we were holding them in worship with us. Yeah. 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 So I heard that there were some obvious logistical reasons to not use Zoom in this instance. But when I asked them whether they had much experience personally with Zoom worship, I was surprised to hear that both Diane and Anna each had clocked quite a few hours in front of the computer screen, whether it was for yearly meeting or visiting another meeting, what have you. So I wanted to ask them to compare the experiences. You know, was there something special about coming home to a meeting that hasn't adopted this new practice? And uh, we'll start with Diane's answer. Okay, so I know spirit can transcend time and space, but there is something so palpable in in worship together there is there's a body of worshipers in that meeting house we may be five physical bodies but we are a meeting house full and crowded with spirits worshiping with us and i mm. think you know those are our quaker ancestors the, they're happy that we're there and they are with us in worship. And I don't know. It's just, um, I think we're a unique meeting in that way, maybe that we're small, but we feel full. Mm. For me, it feels different. Um, it really does. I think like being physically together, seeing each other, um, definitely uh, makes a difference for me. I feel like um, there's kind of a like a gravity um, when friends are you know worshiping. When when one friend is very deep, I can feel like myself getting kind of pulled along by their gravity. Um, and I wouldn't say it's impossible to feel that way on a Zoom call. I personally have never felt that way on a Zoom call. Has there ever been a moment where it felt like Fall Creek was, was missing out on something? That there was something that Zoom might unlock for the community that, that wasn't happening because you don't have that capacity? We have a few um, members who uh, have like either occasional or long-term health issues uh, where sometimes like getting out to the meeting house is a challenge. And so in those cases, uh, like it is kind of a shame that we can't offer another like a virtual way for them to attend worship with us. But I would say, like, on the whole, um, what we've got is working for us pretty well. It is a way of being inclusive 
and maybe spreading and sharing what it is that we find in worship together. And I think, you know, Quakers have, although they've they've held the line in some regards, they've also been able to adapt and change. I mean, we don't use the plain language anymore. Not very many people do anyway. Not very many people live in plain dress anymore. Um, we can adapt and change, and I think Zoom is one of the ways we can do it. But I think we also need to remember what it is that is at the core of what we do and who we are. And I think as long as we can keep keep that in mind and keep that in practice, that deep worship and deep commitment to to the way we worship and why we worship, then I think the changes the changes will just come anyway. We we just like I said at the beginning, let's roll with it. Let's just take it as far as we can go with it and, and see. We've got to explore it. Yeah. So, Max Carter, thanks for taking a moment to talk with me today about everyone's favorite topic, Zoom <laughs> worship. <laughs> sure. It's a, hybrids are not just cars. <laughs> nice. Um, could we start with a brief introduction? Sure. I'm Max Carter, and I'm a member of New Garden Friends Meeting in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm retired professor of Quaker Studies and uh, director of Friends Center at Guilford College. Great. Thank you. Um, so, Max Carter, I wanted to bring you into this conversation to zoom out a little bit historically. So you grew up on a dairy farm in Indiana, you know, um, during a different era. And I'm wondering if, you know, if I could travel back in time and found you as a kid and told you that in the future there would be big screen TVs in Quaker meeting houses (laughs) and anyone from all over the world could call in and participate in worship, what would you have told me? (laughs) Well, I would have told you the same thing my grandfather told me when... Uh, in 1969, we had people walking on the moon. And my grandfather was born in 1890. He was a teenager before the airplane was invented. And I asked him once, Grandpa, how did you cope with such enormous change in your life to be born before the airplane and then to live to see men walking on the moon? And he looked me in the face and said, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I have not adapted as well as Grandpa did. But, but I will say that your Grandpa, too, was a dairy farmer. And when his uh, two sons, who had been conscientious objectors during World War II, uh, went off and saw the world as ambulance drivers and COs during that war, and came back and said, Dad, we got to run electricity to the barn. We got to go modern. We got to get electric milkers. Grandpa said, the day I can't lean my head into the flank of a warm cow and hear the ringing of milk in the bucket, I'm moving to town. His boys ran electricity to the barn, brought in surge milkers, 
Grandpa built a house in town and moved. <laughs> so there's, again, I, I mentioned that because there's, it's how you relate to technology. It's what your feelings are around technology. Uh, you adapt, but there are some things that you are hesitant to adapt to, uh, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, totally. I, I really like that concept and especially the distinction that you're making. So adapt, but do so critically, like with our eyes open about the implications about what it is that we're adapting to. I mean, I feel like we're in such an escalating period of rapid change in technology and how it affects us societally. I mean, how... How would we even go about putting the brakes on the parts of it that we deem unhealthy or wrong for us somehow? Again, it, it's how you relate to the technology. This is you know, where I've learned quite a bit from the Amish, perhaps too much from the Amish, who are, by the way, not Quakers. Uh, <laughs> they put technology on probation. I think this is a a helpful thing for all of us to learn. The Amish are not completely opposed to technology, but they want to ask technology questions. And the primary question they ask of technology is, if we adopt you, what impact will that have on our core values? Yeah. Uh, back in 1999, they asked that question about the cell phone. Uh, the cell phone was just coming in, and one of the central concepts, theological concepts of the Amish is separation from a fallen world. I mean, this is straight out of the Bible. Be ye not uh, conformed to the world. Uh, come out from among them and be ye separate. And they had initially, in the early 1900s, been among the first to adopt telephones because they had little batteries. They wired uh, their communities to these batteries and talked to each other on this telephone device. Then in came uh, public utilities. In came lines that connected them to the rest of the world. And the bishop said, this is a bridge or a line too far. Uh, and they said, no more phones. Uh, plus, they found that rather than going out and feeding the chickens, milking the cows, and plowing the fields, folk were sitting on the phone gossiping. <laughs> so that was not not favorable. Well, I mean, I think we can all relate to a drop in productivity when we start looking at our phones too much. Um, you know, that might be an equivalent. Um, but so zooming out, um, I'm, I'm curious what your takeaway is here. You know, like what, what can Quakers learn from this Amish practice of putting technology on probation? I, I think we can learn from the Amish and their putting technology on probation by being hesitant to simply adopt the first thing coming down the pike. Our tendency yeah. as moderns is to, if it's, if it's new, if it's fancy, if it's high tech, grab it. It would be helpful for us in terms of the topic of today. How do we use technology, recording, video, Zoom, things like that 
in the in our meetings for worship to be somewhat careful uh, and put it on probation. You know, try it and see it what impact it has, and then feel free if it does seem to corrode or impact our core values. to feel free to say, eh, maybe not now, maybe later, maybe not now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying to imagine a world in which Quakers would all get together and sort of make that decision uh, together about where to draw the line with technology. I mean, it's um, we're so different from the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> they have really cut and dry boundaries, it seems like, with things like this. Well, as as William Penn once said, uh, you love the world with weaned affections. And that's different from the Amish, you separate from the world. So we are in this gray area as Quakers, in both senses of the word. You know, some of us still wear gray. Uh, but... When you're in this gray area of not having carefully defined parameters, the Amish have carefully defined parameters. Right. This is what thou shalt not do. This is what thou shalt. Quakers, you know, have uh, uh, permeable membranes (laughs) surrounding (laughs) us. And uh, we have to navigate that. And so it, it may appear to be inconsistent. But so were the Amish. You'll take a look at the Amish who will have a buggy uh, with lights. Well, just a second. How can you, what what is it? This is inconsistent. Well, no, we got to be safe. If we're driving at night, we got to be safe. And some Amish will then choose to have batteries operating lights. Other branches of Amish say, no, that's too worldly and won't. You navigate these things. It's the same way with uh, how most Quaker meetings, and I, th- I, I <laughs> and this was true at your wedding, um, <laughs> we will not have alcohol in the meeting house because Quakers don't have alcohol in the meeting house. But there's this little food truck outside <laughs> in the parking lot, <laughs> which served a certain beverage. Uh, anyway, that's... That's how we navigate the world. This is how we negotiate. We have certain limits, and some choose this, this bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Others, another bridge. Thank you for listening, and thank you to today's guests, Anne Jerome, Anna-Margaret Green, Max Carter, and Diane McFarlane Herzog. Please leave us a comment and tell us about your experiences with Zoom and worship. You can do that at quakerpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can also read a transcript from this episode and ponder some discussion questions that we've written up for you. This episode was produced by John Watts and me, Georgia Sparling. John also wrote the music for this episode. 
The Quaker Podcast is part of The Quaker Project, a brand new Quaker media organization whose focus is on lifting up voices of spiritual courage and giving Quakers a platform in 21st century media. If you want to support our work, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. You can learn how to do that at thequaker.org. That's T-H-E-E, quaker.org. We'll have another new episode for you next week. But before you go, John has an announcement. Hi, Hannah. (laughs) Hey, John. (laughs) So I just wanted to take a brief moment here to welcome you to the Quaker Project. We're so excited to have you. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Um, Could you just take a brief moment and introduce yourself for our audience? My name's Hannah Mayer. I'm operations coordinator at the Quaker Project for a few weeks now. I'm a lifelong Quaker. John and I go way back, so that's really fun. That's right. We we worked together at Shiloh Quaker Camp a long time ago. A long time ago when we were teenagers. Totally. Yeah, we had a good time. Um, so uh, what what are you excited about with uh, with this sort of career career change with this professional transition with this next next chapter? <laughs> <laughs> All of those things, yeah. Um, wow, a lot of things. I love podcasts. I'm like very nervous right now because I'm gonna be on a podcast. Are you serious? Oh my gosh. I love Quakers and the Quaker world and I love your work and the the ministry that you have for putting Quakers out there in a compelling and um, strategic way that is inviting to new folks and helpful to folks who have been around with the faith for a long time. Um, so I'm just like very excited about all of that. And then also with this job, I get to do everything. And we are, we are a scrappy startup. (laughs) (laughs) We sure are. And I am a generalist at heart. And so I'm really enjoying getting to put my toes in everything a little bit and um, learn new things. Well, a, a generalist is, is what we needed at this stage. And, um, and we couldn't, couldn't be luckier or couldn't be happier to have you. Oh, thank you.